Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I tell you what, folks, you can always tell when it's Earth Month, when it's that time of the year for us to fixate on the planet, when the media, the mainstream media, when they take all the news articles, they like to drip, 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 spread out throughout the year, and they dust them all off and drop them basically all at the same time all within the 30 days that comprise the month of April. Or if you follow or use woke math, maybe the 28 days in April, 31 days in April, whatever number of days in April. And if that offends you, you're a racist. But I'll tell you what, the media, they love their eco-disaster porn. These news stories designed to make hysterical leftists, even more hysterical about the environment, terrorize, scare the living hell out of children, regular children, adult children, still living in your basement. And here, I got a couple of news headlines for you just to show you what I'm talking about. The Guardian, it's happening now how rising sea levels are causing a U.S. migration crisis. I guess the entire state of Florida, they somehow missed that memo. The number of people moving into Florida, moving into the coast of Florida, if there's a U.S. migration crisis, it's people moving out of New York, out of California, out of some of these dumpster fire states run by the left, destroyed by the left, and they're moving to places like Florida and Texas. So yeah, there's a U.S. migration crisis. All those potential tax dollars that governors in those high-tax, Democrat-run states are losing when people move out. But that is the only migration crisis out there these days. From National Geographic, It's now or never. UN Climate Reports, four urgent takeaways. To limit warming to manageable levels, the world only has a few years to stop using fossil fuels completely. Now, we've been hearing some version of it's now or never for decades. Again, folks, I'm 52 years old. Not only am I a queen, but I am an old queen. And so, unlike some of you millennial Gen Z kids out there, I have been around the block just a couple of times. And so, this now or never, this scare tactic, I have seen this come and go 
time and time and time again. And Rush Limbaugh, back in the day, to show you about how absurd some of this is, Al Gore, and this probably was a couple of decades ago, he pulled one of these, it's now or never. We have 10 years before, I don't know, the destruction of the environment, the end of humanity, some eco-disaster porn like that. And so Rush Limbaugh, on his website, he put a countdown for Al Gore, a 10-year countdown, counting down to see if Al Gore's prediction would come to fruition. And so for 10 years, folks, at RushLimbaugh.com, there was a countdown, counting down to the end of humanity, end of the environment, something like that. And that counted down. That time came and went. And that has been probably another decade on top of that. But Al Gore, like a lot of these folks, out to scare the living hell out of people, go out, make these predictions. It's now or never. We're going to die if we don't stop doing this. They're always wrong. But yet, I guarantee you folks, Al Gore could come out tomorrow, tell everyone we've got 10 years before everything falls apart. And despite him being wrong time and time again, despite the fact that man has made tens of millions of dollars putting this garbage out there to terrorize people, to frighten the living hell out of children, he'll be put up on a pedestal, worshipped once more as an eco-prophet, put up on that pedestal like Fox News does with Megan McCain. But what I found most interesting about that National Geographic story is that guess who owns National Geographic? Walt Disney Company. Woke Disney. Like any of those executives over at Woke Disney, like they're going to give up fossil fuels. The fossil fuels that run their private jets, the fossil fuels that run their fancy automobiles, the fossil fuels that run that ATM machine known as Walt Disney World, like they're going to, any of them are going to give that up. And you want to talk about a massive carbon footprint, those amusement parks, and everything associated with them, the amount of environmental destruction Walt Disney World does, not just in running those parks, but transporting people to those parks, from those parks, the industries surrounding running those things. If National Geographic, if Woke Disney were truly serious about stopping fossil fuels, saving the planet, saving humanity, what have you, they would shut down those parks. It's like Vail, the ski resort over at Vail. They have, they rolled out some new eco-environmental sculpture, a melting gondola. They put that on the mountain just so they could virtue signal about how much they care about the environment. If Vail Resorts really cared about the environment, they would shut all those mountains down. Again, 
the environmental footprint, the carbon footprint it takes to run a ski resort, and what is Vail? Who goes to Vail? Euro snobs, American social climbers, American celebrities. The environmental footprint to entertain those clowns, I don't take them seriously. Them lecturing me about the environment and look at what they do to trash the environment just so people can ski. And here's one more, one more eco-disaster porn story for you. This one is from, of all godforsaken places, GQ. And what is GQ, folks? GQ is Vogue for Queens. That's all GQ is. People read GQ for the articles like people used to read Playboy for the articles. But their headline, The Razor's Edge of a Warming World. As we hurtle towards an ever hotter future, GQ spotlights eight places whose very identities depend on a simple calculation. If we limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, these places could be saved. In a two-degree scenario, they would be irredeemably lost. And two of the places they mentioned, most of which the other six I haven't heard of, but the two I have, Napa Valley and the Italian Alps. So those clowns over at GQ, they want us to believe that if we can limit warming on the planet, if we can limit that to 1.5 degrees, Napa Valley, all the good wine up there, it'll be just fine. But that extra half a degree, if it goes to two degrees warmer, Napa Valley, done, over. All you folks in Florida who enjoy that deliciously chilled glass of white Zinfandel, and you know who you are, that party is over just because of a half a degree. Does that make sense to anyone? Does that make any sense whatsoever that a half a degree is all it takes for Napa Valley to go from one extreme to the other? Or the Italian Alps? Like if white boy Malcolm X and I, we go to Zermatt on the Italian-Swiss border, and that's a place where you can take a gondola to the top of the mountain, and you can ski into Italy or into Switzerland. But, but a half a degree, it's either going to be great snowboarding for us or nothing. One extreme to the other, over a half a degree. To me, that makes zero sense. But I guess if you're a good leftist out there, and you enjoy and you masturbate to eco-disaster porn like this one from those blooming idiots at GQ, I guess it makes sense to you. Maybe we can go to solar or wind. Again, all you're doing is transferring pollution. Sure, you're not drilling into the earth to get oil, but man, you really have to dig and dig and dig to get all those special minerals to make those solar panels and those wind turbines. Speaking of which, how's this from Bloomberg? Wind turbine blades can't be recycled, so they're piling up 
in landfills. Companies are searching for ways to deal with the tens of thousands of blades that have reached the end of their lives. Now I thought, and white boy Malcolm X, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought putting anything in a landfill, that was bad. Did I miss something there, sir? No. Okay. I didn't think so. I thought we were supposed to recycle everything. Putting anything in a landfill, that was bad. That was evil. But yet, tens of thousands of these blades, and these blades, folks, each blade, that's bigger than the wing of a Boeing 747. They're dumping these things into landfills by the thousands. So in other words, wind turbines They are environmental destruction from the very beginning all the way to the bitter end. You've got the massive carbon footprint, the energy that has to be expended to make these blades. You get that puppy put together, and what does it do the entire time it's running? It murders birds. At the base of any wind turbine, folks, is a massive Bird cemetery. Dead birds everywhere. And when the blades finally give out, what do they do? Dump them in a landfill. Bury them in the earth. But they're oh so good for the environment. Okay then. If that's what you want to tell yourself, go for it. You ain't fooling me though. And before we jump into things, folks, if you would indulge me for just a moment, Our summit mistress, white boy Malcolm X and I, our summit mistress out there in Colorado, she and her boy toy, they are celebrating 10 years together on Tuesday. Our summit mistress has been a dear friend of ours for quite some time. She is our number one fan, and you can actually hear her if you go back to our 100th podcast. She sent a greeting to white boy Malcolm X and I, wishing us well, congratulating us on our 100th podcast. But we did want to wish her a happy 10th anniversary, her and the boy toy. But we also, to celebrate her 10th anniversary, we have some very special guests, brought some people in, her favorite guests here on the Miller Frost podcast, who also wanted to wish her and the boy toy Wanted to wish them a happy 10th anniversary. So without further delay, I would like to welcome to the Miller Frost Podcast, Pete and Testin Buttigieg, that low rank queen from Indiana. Welcome them to the podcast so they could wish Summit Mistress a happy 10th anniversary. Okay, girls, the floor is yours. Let's get this over with. Hello. My name is Pete Buttigieg, and I am the Secretary of Transportation. And I'm Justin Buttigieg, and my husband is the Secretary of Transportation. We're here today. Peter! What, Justin? You did it again. What did I do? You interrupted me again. Oh, I'm sorry, Justin. Go ahead. I just wanted to say... That I don't care what that evil podcaster Miller Frost says. I am not some low-rank queen from Indiana. I'm all finished, Peter. 
you can go ahead now. We are here today to wish the Miller Frost Podcast Summit Mistress and her boy toy a happy 10th anniversary. Yes, even if you are friends with that evil podcaster, Miller Frost, we're so glad that we're your favorite guests. Like it could be anyone else, Megan McCain, that hag, please. We hope you have a wonderful celebration in Santa Fe. Hopefully not too many potholes on your way there. Not like I have to deal with between our house and that dry cleaner. Chastin, I told you I would take care of those. Oh, promises, promises, Peter. I promise I'll get those potholes fixed, Chastin. I promise I'll stop wearing cheap suits so you don't have to go to the dry cleaner all the time, Chastin. I promise I'll change the diapers on our new babies, Barack and Oprah, Chastin. Lies. All lies, Peter. Well, enjoy your romantic getaway, Summit Mistress. Hopefully it's not as dull and uneventful as our last anniversary was. Chastin, what was wrong with our anniversary? Oh, how many blue pills did you have to take to get that damn thing to even work? Like I'm not attractive enough to turn you on? Chastin, you're very sexy. And you said you wanted to get all kinky. But all you did, Peter, was put that ball gag in my mouth. You didn't want to hear me talk of something. I never said that, Chastin. I'm not even going to mention that hood you wanted me to wear. It's like you didn't even want to know it was me you were having sex with. You trying to pretend I was Colton Underwood or something? Chastin, I can never mistake you for Colton Underwood in bed. Oh, excuse me? Okay, you two. <laughs> Get the hell off my podcast. Jesus Christmas. Those two arguing again. Summit Mistress. I am so sorry. I am really, really, really sorry that those two queens try to invite them on here to wish you and the boy toy a happy 10-year anniversary. And what do those two queens do? Argue again. I tell you what, White Boy Malcolm X, we have got to stop inviting those two queens over. I'm tired of it. Folks, I am really tired of listening to those two bitch, moan, and complain about each other. It's embarrassing. Wrecks the podcast to have those two queens coming on here, airing out all their dirty laundry like they do. But again, Summit Mistress, happy 10-year anniversary. You and the boy toy have yourselves a grand gay old time down there in Santa Fe this week. So let's go ahead and jump into things, folks. And our first story is from Blaze Media. Former child actor Cole Sprouse says Disney heavily sexualized young girls at the network. No kidding. Disney sexualizing young girls for money. And this sexualizing of kids, this has been going on for, well, I don't know how long. Decades, I think at this point. I think I first noticed it. Sexualizing the young. Back in back in the early to mid-90s, Abercrombie and Fitch, what they did back in the day. And I actually worked for them back in uh, 93, fall of 93. I had just moved down to Atlanta. Every young queen's dream back in the day. 
And I went down there. I got a part-time job waiting tables, a part-time job working retail. And that retail place, that was Abercrombie and Fitch. So I was about as stereotypical a queen as you could get back in the mid-90s. But back then, back in 93, Abercrombie and Fitch, they were more like Brooks Brothers. They actually had a fitted shirt and tie section back then, back in the day. But it was it was that Christmas season. They started to roll out all that stuff, all that kind of crappy clothing that they became famous for, that all the kids flocked to them for during the rest of the 90s into the early aughts. But that's when I noticed it, when we had to hang up these posters of these basically kids, half-naked kids writhing around on top of each other, kind of like Grandma Madonna writhing around on Instagram. And those bags, those shopping bags they had with these half-naked kids, they were so popular. People just had to have an Abercrombie bag with a half-naked boy or a half-naked girl on it. Whatever floats your boat, that's what you wanted. But skin sells, and young skin, that definitely sells. So no big shock there that Disney, woke Disney, heavily sexualized young girls for for money on that network. Did you know, though, white boy Malcolm X, did you know that Cole Sprouse, he was a... He was on a Disney show back in the day. No. Well, neither did I. Now, white boy Malcolm X and I, we know Cole Sprouse from our, well, I'll say guilty pleasure, Riverdale. Now, that is a dumb show. Dumb, dumb, dumb. But I will have to say this, and I know white boy Malcolm X will agree, and we'll get to that in a second. But that show, as dumb as it is, It's entertaining. But you want to talk about heavily sexualizing anyone, Riverdale, that is the show for that. That is the one, folks, with that strapping stud of a ginger, AJKJ Appa, the one that white boy Malcolm X, I have to say this, folks, it gets a little creepy. It gets a little uncomfortable watching Riverdale with white boy Malcolm X, and his hearty ginger fetish. But AJKJ Appa, they got that kid shirtless, I think at least, what, half the time? No matter what's going on, no matter what the scene is on Riverdale, AJKJ Appa, again, folks, that strapping stud of a ginger, he's running around half naked. Not that... These two old queens, not that we're complaining, but they sexualize him. They sexualize a couple of the young actresses on that show. They're always running around half naked or in really tight, suggestive outfits. And I think they try to sexualize Cole Sprouse, but, well, how do I put this nicely? Cole, Cole shirtless, he's kind of like, Timothy Chalamet. He kind of has the body of a 12-year-old boy. So I think they they tried to do that, but you can't have Cole Sprouse 
and his 12-year-old boy body next to strapping ginger stud AJKJ Appa. Can't have the two of them shirtless standing next to each other. It just, it makes Cole's sad little undefined body makes it look that much worse. And that also reminds me, God, I don't know how long ago, Chase Crawford, he was on some, I have no idea, it was some big show, or it was the show, whatever show he was on, that made him a star. But I remember reading an article years ago with him, and he was talking about, on that show, there was some scene he was in, and they wanted him to be shirtless, and he was like, why? Why am I supposed to be shirtless? That makes no sense for me to be shirtless in this scene. And not to disagree with Chase Crawford there, but it does make sense in the sense that you get a lot more eyeballs. People tend to watch those things if you've got these kids running around half naked because let's face it, folks, people enjoy their eye candy, whatever flavor that comes in. We can certainly blame Disney for doing that. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're just giving us what we want, giving the viewers what they want. And that is, who cares about the plot or the story, what have you? Show me that eye candy. From The Hollywood Reporter, Britney Spears confirms she's writing a book called Writing Process, Healing and Therapeutic. In a Instagram Post shared Monday, the pop star shared the news and detailed her process. I guess this is where I should insert a joke about this being a coloring book. But White Boy Malcolm X, which autobiography do you think will wind up being the most vapid, the most banal, the biggest piece of garbage out there? Britney Spears trashing her parents for three or 400 pages. Or Megan McCain, humble bragging about her parents and connections. And that's a trick question, sir, so don't even bother trying to answer. All of the above. And I don't really have much to say on on Britney Spears that I haven't said already. If it were me, I would just let it go, move on, show that success is the best revenge, but I guess not her. She's getting like, I forgot how many millions of dollars to write this book, to trash mom and dad, grandma and grandpa to her kids. So I guess she's going to wallow in this, play the poor me card for a little bit longer. I guess that's all she's got going on these days. Not doing her, not singing, I guess. So I guess this, this gives her something to do. From narratively, Planning my wedding as a non-binary bride. I couldn't even pick a pronoun. How was I supposed to decide what to wear on the most important day of my life? And this, folks, was written by Claire Ruddy Foster. And no, Ruddy Foster. Surprisingly, that's not hyphenated. And I saw this story, folks, and I'm thinking to myself, now I think they're just trolling me. Trolling me? trying to get a reaction out of me because they know how much those folks with their super special pain-in-the-ass gender identities and their 
super special, pain in the ass pronouns, how much they annoy me. But you know what? I read this article, going through this article, and I'll tell you what. You want to talk about a a first world white people problem. Pronouns, pronouns are it. Do you think people living in some third world hellhole like North Korea, Ethiopia, Haiti, downtown Los Angeles, do you think any of those people, do you think any of them care about pronouns? No. Now, I'm sure there are some BIPOC folk out there. They've got their super special pain-in-the-ass gender identities. They've got their super special pain-in-the-ass pronouns. But pronouns, gender identity, that's pretty much the purview of white people in the first world. These are the sort of things you have to come up with, have to think up to give your life meaning, to give your life purpose, when pretty much everything you have has been handed to you on a silver platter. And I've said this before, but this is what happens when people are bored, when they're unhappy, they, they feel like their life is kind of listless. They go out searching for something, something to give them meaning, something to make themselves feel better about themselves. So what do they do? A lot of them these days, they dabble in the queer community. They stop off, visit the big tent that is our tribe, our lovable Star Wars bar of a tribe, and they dabble in it just to kind of, I don't know, it's like a pit stop on their way to finding themselves. And this is why you have 10 to 12% of millennials identifying as some sort of queer, 20% of Gen Z kids also identifying as some sort of queer, both of which are statistically impossible. And I can only imagine what the next generation is going to come up with. 30, 40% identifying as queer, some sort of queer. But I guess in an era, especially one driven by social media, driven by this need for attention, this need to feel super special and unique, having your very own gender identity, having your very own super special pain-in-the-ass pronouns helps these people to feel better about themselves, to feel super special and unique, even if they torture everyone else in the process, having to memorize their gender identity, having to memorize all these silly, obnoxious, pronoun combinations, since they, them, aren't good enough anymore. You got to do she, they, or they, she, face, self, zeer, all sorts of funky, weird pronouns. They've got to have to feel, I guess, complete. Again, a first world white person problem, if there ever was one. But let's move on. From Time Magazine, Kentanji Brown-Jackson confirmed to the Supreme Court, becoming the first black woman justice in U.S. history. So I guess creepy Uncle Joe the hair sniffer and his fetish for black women, not only does he have a black woman as his vice president, 
Now he's got another black woman. She's up there on the Supreme Court. And this is the one, I believe, white boy Malcolm X, this is the woman who can't define what a woman is. She's sitting there with two breasts and a hoo-hoo, and she gets asked what a woman is, and she was like, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. Which to any normal person out there, talk about a head-scratcher, a woman can't define what a woman is? What the what? But to the leftist woke folk out there, that makes perfect sense. Because to these folks, if you want to call yourself a woman, you're a woman. Who cares if you have a penis? Who cares if you've got a, a massive rug of hair on your chest? If you want to call yourself a woman, you're a woman. And again, if that offends you, if that offends your sensibilities, you are going to get yourself a first-class ticket on a train to a re-education camp to get your mind right. From Market Watch, millennials have solved the retirement crisis. So millennials, our favorite, one of our favorite punching bags here on the Miller Frost Podcast. No, I'm just kidding. I actually know quite a few really good millennials out there. I just like to give you kids a hard time just because I can. But some of you out there, you kind of make it hard for me not to do it, not to pick on you just a little bit. But you millennials out there, allegedly, supposedly, possibly, maybe, have solved the retirement crisis, and you did so, or think you did so, by investing in cryptocurrencies. In fact, more millennials own cryptocurrencies than own stocks. Just barely, though, 38% to 37%. But 28% of you, 28% of you millennials, you are planning to rely on those cryptocurrencies to support you in retirement. You're also, and I hate to say this, I really do, you are a fool, a complete fool, if you think cryptocurrencies, that that massive house of cards waiting to implode, if you think that is going to fund your retirement, pay for your super special pain-in-the-ass drinks at Starbucks while you leisurely sit around on your fat ass by the pool doing nothing. Now, I'm sure some of you, some of you kids out there, I'm sure some of you are going to make some money off those uh, off those cryptocurrencies. I just think, personally, I just think it's kind of silly, a bit foolhardy to, to put all your eggs or most of your eggs in that basket. The volatility on those things, because at the end of the day, they're backed up by basically nothing. They're worth what they're worth because people believe that they hold some sort of intrinsic value. But the second, the conventional thinking goes in the opposite direction, that people don't have any faith in these things. To be a, to have value, be able to store value in them, the bottom is going to fall out. Kind of like the dot-com craze back in, what, 99, 2000. That of the real estate market, 2008, 2009. So good luck with that. If that's what you think is going to be 
funding your retirement, that and Social Security, if that's what you're banking on, you're screwed way more than you want to think you are. From Hot Air, NRSC announces record fundraising and plans to spend it on outreach to Latino voters. And for all you liberals out there, scratching your head at the word Latino, they mean Latinx. I can hear those white liberals. Latino, Latino. What the heck is a Latino? Oh, Latinx. I know what a Latinx is. I'm down for the struggle. Yes, of course you are, princess. And the NRSC, that is the National Republican Senatorial Committee. And they have hauled in, folks, for the first quarter of this year, $43 million. The swamp. I tell you what, the swamp, they love them Benjamins, just like the woke folk do. $43 million. That's going to that's gonna circulate really well in the swamp. Those folks out there, that'll pay for a lot of consultants, a lot of fancy dinners, a lot of good cocktails. And I hate to be rude, but you useful idiots out there sending the Republicans money, $43 million, so they can keep funding their lifestyle, paying off their consultants, paying off God knows who with that money so they can keep power, which is, at the end of the day, all, any of them in Washington, all they care about. And you're paying for it. From the AP, Stacey Abrams reaches millionaire status before second campaign. So Stacey Abrams, who ran for Georgia governor in 2018 and who lost that race to Brian Kemp, she has spent the last couple of years not only running around claiming a rigged election, a stolen election, which is perfectly fine to the same media who trashed Donald Trump for saying the exact same thing. Stacy, civil rights icon, champion of democracy, Donald Trump, evil authoritarian, wannabe dictator. But Stacy, in the last four years, other than running around, crying about that election, crying about how it was stolen from her, the Georgia governorship was stolen from her, she's been out there making some huge money in the process. When she ran in 2018, her net worth back then, she listed that at $109,000. Now, four years later, Stacey Abrams, she's now worth $3.17 million. Another one who came to do good and has done very, very well indeed. She's still going to lose here in a couple months. But don't you worry about Stacy, folks. If all goes well, she'll get herself over the 10 million mark, get herself in the eight-figure club. She'll get that done here in the next couple of years. From the National Desk, church plans to fast from whiteness during Lent. And this involves, folks, the First United Church of Oak Park. They're in the suburbs of that third world hellhole, Chicago. But the First United Church of Oak Park 
during Lent this year, they are dropping any musical contributions written or composed by white people. Evil white people. Not going to have it. Not during Lent this year. And this is what they said in a statement. In our worship services throughout Lent, we will not be using any music or liturgy written or composed by white people. Our music will be drawn from the African-American spiritualist tradition, from South African freedom songs, from Native American traditions, and many, many more. Surprisingly enough, folks, I have not heard a word about the First United Church of Oak Park, about any cultural appropriation from them, taking them some BIPOC music, some Native American music, and putting that into their church services. And you people wonder why the BIPOC folk roll their eyes at white liberals all the time. Don't trust white liberals when they start carrying on. And I'm sure the BIPOC folk, seeing this, First United Church of Oak Park, culturally appropriating their music, just so they can virtue signal, I'm sure they're like, ah, Jesus Christmas, there goes Whitey again. Virtue signaling just to make themselves feel better. And can you folks see all these hysterical white liberals up there in Oak Park, Chicago, singing African-American spirituals, singing South African freedom songs, singing Native American songs, That has got to be a riot, watching them carry on. God knows what they'll be singing. We shall overcome, something like that. Of all the absurdities, that white boy Malcolm X, that has got to be a train wreck. Those dopey white liberals singing all those songs, God. Bless your hearts, folks. Bless all your hearts. You think that's going to do any good. Do one damn thing to help anything. You folks, culturally appropriating, singing you some BIPOC songs. You have fun with that. From Fox News, Biden Inc. Biden's sister to keep cashing in on brother's career with new memoir following family tradition. Biden's family members have often cashed in on his political career. Another one, no kidding. And this is Creepy Uncle Joe the Hair Sniffer, his younger sister, Valerie Biden Owens. Another one has to leave the the maiden name. She thinks that's got some cachet to it, adding Biden into her name. Kind of like Michaela Kennedy Kumo, Michaela Kumo Kennedy. Anyone with the last name of Kennedy, they get married. It's always Susie Kennedy Smith. They got to keep the Kennedy in there. I don't know why. What's a Kennedy? These days, a Kennedy means a drunk loser. But I guess somewhere here in Massachusetts, in certain corners of the state, I guess that still means something. But this blooming idiot, Valerie Owens, she's got to keep the Biden in there. She thinks that's got some cachet. Valerie, that name is about to get really, really, really Drag through the mud, princess. You might want to rethink that. But Valerie here, she did serve as creepy Uncle Joe the Hair Sniffer's campaign manager for all seven of his Senate campaigns. 
She was also an advisor for all three of his presidential campaigns. And that book, her memoir, that is called Growing Up Biden, a Memoir. And that comes out on Tuesday. Like anyone's going to read that. That book, that may sell three dozen copies in Washington, D.C. That's about it. Who the hell gives a crap about Valerie Biden Owens? Cares what that woman has to say about anything? No one. This is what they call, in my opinion, a payoff. I'm sure whatever good leftist publishing company out there who wanted to curry favor with this administration, I'm sure they paid Valerie Biden-Owens, probably paid her a couple million dollars in a book advance, another Biden whoring themselves out for money, but no one's going to buy this damn book. They'll probably, they'll have someone buy it in bulk. They can bury these books in a landfill next to all the wind turbine blades they can't recycle, make it seem like it's a bestseller, but nobody gives a crap about her, about creepy Uncle Joe the Hair Sniffer's Senate campaigns. But this is how the swamp, how they, how they buy each other off. Crappy book deals like this. I bet you, White Boy Malcolm X, I bet you Britney Spears, her autobiography, her coloring book autobiography, hers or Megan McCain's coloring book autobiography, I bet you either of them, 10 times better a read than this silly fraud of a memoir, Valerie Biden-Owens, what she's putting out. People walking by the bookstore see that right there in the front window. Valerie who? Who the hell is that chick? Oh, it's another Biden. Joe's younger sister, whoring herself out, her boring memoir about creepy Uncle Joe running for Senate. You buy that book, you're a complete blithering idiot. But you have fun with that. From the New York Post, Secret Service renting $30,000 Malibu pad to protect Hunter Biden. From what? His dealer? He got himself an unpaid crack tab? Maybe a pissed off sex worker? That's what we used to call folks in the old days. A prostitute, a hooker, a hoe. Kids these days, they're just sex workers. But does he have himself a pissed off sex worker? He didn't tip her enough. She's all angry. They got to put the Secret Service in a $30,000 a month fancy pad there in Malibu just to protect him from an angry pimp who's got a very unhappy sex worker. She had to get in bed, touch Hunter's nasty body, had to do all sorts of foul things with him that crack whore, and he didn't even bother to tip. Who knows? Who really cares? Your tax dollars at work, though. Have fun, folks. Have fun paying for that. From Boston.com, here's why Mayor Wu and other mayors say undocumented immigrants should be able to get driver's licenses. This is a no-brainer, right? Well, yes. Just not how you think. And Mayor Wu there, down there in Boston, Michelle Wu, she is woke, Michelle Wu. People in the city of Boston, how stupid they are. They had a choice in the last election 
kind of, sort of, maybe woke, full-on, drank all the Kool-Aid woke, and they went with the latter, Michelle Wu, an acolyte of fat, ditzy moron, Elizabeth Pocahontas Warren. And so Michelle Wu, she's going to do to Boston what Bill de Blasio, that blithering idiot in New York, what he did to that city, that once great city, New York, how he wrecked New York, that's what Michelle, that's what she's going to do to Boston. In a sane country, folks, someone walks into the DMV or the RMV up here. They go up and say, hi, I'd like a driver's license. Person at the DMV, do you have any documents? Uh, no, I actually broke into your country illegally. I snuck over the border. I have no papers. Now, in a sane country, folks, they would arrest that person, ship their asses right back to where they came from. Not here in America. Oh, you broke into our country? Here's a driver's license. Have fun. Have yourself a grand gay old time illegally being in our country. How else, princess, can we make it easier for you? What else would you like? Free health care? Free education for your children? Welfare? Anything else we can do for you, dear? But that's the country we live in, folks, where an illegal immigrant can go into the DMV and get themselves a driver's license instead of getting deported. But that's what the ruling class wants, so that's what the ruling class gets. To hell with the rest of us. From the post-millennial, BLM leaders secretly bought a $6 million house. Y'all don't know, well, I'll just say crap, what it takes to live in a box here, the BLM co-founder said. So our favorite woke folk, well, one of our favorite woke folk, here on the Miller Frost podcast, Patrice Kong Coolers, she apparently, along with international BLM co-founder Alicia Garza, and Los Angeles chapter co-founder, Melina Abdullah, they got themselves a $6 million, 6,500 square foot house there in Los Angeles. It has more than half a dozen bedrooms and bathrooms, multiple fireplaces, a soundstage in the house, a pool and bungalow, and parking for 20 plus vehicles. And they got that house, allegedly, supposedly, possibly, maybe, with money that came from the BLM Global Network Foundation from their contributions. And they got that house apparently because they needed a safe house. They needed a place, a very fancy place, to hide out if people were out to get them. So, Patrice, now she already has four houses, folks. She's got that house in Georgia. That has a runway. That has an indoor pool. That has an RV repair shop. All that's right there in her compound in Georgia. She also has three houses in Los Angeles. And why does she have three houses there in Los Angeles? Well, according to my theory, Patrice Conkoolers, she has three houses in Los Angeles, so she never gets stuck in traffic. She's out there on the 405. Man, traffic sucks. I don't want to sit in this. I got better things to do with my time. Luckily for Patrice, she's got a house here, a house there. She's got houses everywhere. She can just drive over, park in a house, 
one of her fancy houses, wait out that traffic. So she has the one house in Georgia, and she has three houses in L.A., just to avoid traffic. But now, folks, Patrice, she's got, well, I guess a third of another house. That's her safe house. So she's got one house in Georgia and 3.3 houses in L.A. Three of them for traffic. One of them if she thinks someone's out to get her. I guess the question to ask at this point, has any of that money, that woke Target, woke Nike, woke whoever, wrote to the BLM folks, all those millions and millions and millions of dollars that people and companies donated to BLM, has one penny of that gone to do anything but enrich people like Patrice Kahn Coolers? Because to me, folks, all that money that people handed over to them to buy themselves some sort of penance to show how down for the struggle they are, all that money, as best I can tell, all that money just went to line their pockets, went to prop them up in some grand gay lifestyle where they can sit around all their fancy multi-million dollar properties doing that on someone else's dime under the pretense of trying to help the BIPOC folk. Like I said before, you people supporting BLM, you people writing checks to BLM, you're just a useful idiot to people like Patrice Conkoolers. She is, in my opinion, nothing but a con artist, a complete fraud using your white guilt against you so she can live her grand gay lifestyle and you're the sucker paying for it. How's that? How does that make your white guilt feel? From Breitbart, Oscars co-host Amy Schumer. I wasn't allowed to joke about Alec Baldwin, but Will Smith could assault a presenter. And we had just talked about Amy Schumer. What was that last week on last week's podcast? There was an article from page six. That's the New York Post gossip page where Amy Schumer, she was still triggered and traumatized by Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. And I said at the time, Typical millennial, typical hysterical white liberal chick. Will Smith slaps Chris Rock, and it's all about her. And it's still, apparently, all about her. Now she's crying and complaining. She couldn't make a joke about Alec Baldwin, but Will Smith got to slap Chris Rock. It's not fair. First off, that Alec Baldwin situation, that's not funny. Say what you will about Alec Baldwin. Say what you will about that situation. But a young lady died because of that accident. Making a joke about Alec Baldwin and a gun when something like that happened, that's not funny. I don't care. There's no way under the sun that's funny. But Amy here with this whole, oh, it's not fair. I don't get to tell a joke about Alec Baldwin. But Will Smith, look what he got to do. He got to slap Chris Rock. Yet again, showing the absurdity of being who she is. Again, a typical, hysterical, self-absorbed, millennial white chick inserting herself into the situation, making it all about her 
Because to her, to Amy, it's her world. We just live in it. Okay, princess, if that's what you think, you have fun with that. From Tal Road, those girls over at Tal Road, two-thirds of U.S. adults would be okay if their child came out as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, but only 50% are fine with a trans kid. And I can see that, folks. As a, as a card-carrying member of the tribe, our lovable Star Wars bar of a tribe, I can kind of see that. Where most people, meh, your kid's gay, lesbian, bisexual, what have you. You're like, okay, I can live with that. But with trans kids, eh, maybe 50-50. No, I don't have kids, folks. Don't have them, don't want them. I don't really have to worry about this. But if I did, well, you know, if one of my kids, let's say I had a kid or two or three, what have you. If one of my kids said, Daddy, I am a lesbian or Daddy, I am a big old queen. Now, I wouldn't really care. Now, I might tell my son, don't be a bar star. Don't go live in the gay ghetto. Be a person who happens to be gay. Don't be a gay person. Might give them that speech. But otherwise, wouldn't really care. Bisexual. If I had a kid come to me and was like, oh, daddy, I think I'm a bisexual. I would sit that kid down, folks, and I would be like, son, daughter, you need to commit. Now, if it were my daughter, I'd have to tell her, honey, I love you, but the tribe, our lovable Star Wars bar of a tribe, that is not there to entertain you so you can seem edgy and cool or to make your boyfriend happy because he wants to see you make out with some other chick. That's not what we're here for, dear, to entertain you while you're in college trying to find yourself as a young person. Now, if it were my son and he was like, Daddy, I am a bisexual, I would be like, Son, I will not have some wannabe Ronan Rubenstein living under this roof. Not happening. You want to get plowed by half of L.A. like Ronan does? Allegedly, supposedly. Possibly, maybe. Fine. Go for it. None of my business. But none of this pretend crap. Not while you're living in my house. Like I've said before, folks. Bisexual men. They're just queens. They're just not ready to fully commit. And so, with the transgenders, if my kid came to me and was like, Daddy... I'm actually a, the other gender, a complete other gender. I guess on the plus side, I'm not having to deal with a, a kid coming to me saying, well, daddy, I don't know what my gender is. I'm non-binary. And right now, my super special pain in the ass pronouns, I think for now, I want to be known as they, she, or zizir za, something like that. With a kid like that, I'd be like, get the hell out of my house. I am not having that crap under my roof. You and your silly bisexual brother getting plowed by half of LA thinking he's still into women. The two of you, bunch of clowns, get out of my house. But with the transgender, I'm still facing, even if they're not non-binary, I'm still facing a huge pain in the ass. I don't have to memorize super special 
pain in the ass pronouns, but they're still going to be a pain in the ass to deal with. Especially if I've got a transgender kid and all they want to do is pop a couple hormone pills, declare themselves the opposite sex. They don't want to commit with an upgrade to the hardware. They just want to run around. Oh, I'm a woman. Son, you still have your penis. You're not a woman. Oh, yes, I am, Daddy. It's 2022. You're just a bigot. See, folks, a complete pain in the ass. I'd be like, fine. You want to have a penis? Call yourself a girl. Bother someone else. Be someone else's pain in the ass. Get the hell out of my house. Go hang out with your non-binary sibling. Try to figure out what their pain in the ass pronouns are. Let me know in a memo. Go hang out with your bisexual brother. When they're not too busy getting plowed by half of L.A., pretending they're still part of the time heterosexual. When he's not doing that, maybe he'll recognize you as a woman with your penis. But I want all of you kids, all you brats, get the hell out of my house. And that is why, white boy Malcolm X, that is why I am, I am never going to be a parent. Because, man, I would not put up with any of that crap. Not in the least. And for our last story, folks, we are going to do one just for our summit mistress on her 10-year anniversary. We're going to do one from the smoking gun. Cops, daughter batter dad in sex toy dispute. Victim 50 opened daughter's Amazon package. The delivery yesterday of an Amazon package containing a sex toy triggered a domestic confrontation that resulted in the arrest of an 18-year-old Floridian, of course, for allegedly battering her father, according to court records. Police say that the 50-year-old victim opened a package addressed to his daughter, Victoria Marson, and discovered that it contained a strap-on dildo. The man, surprised by what was inside, I bet he was, then confronted his daughter in reference to this package, an arrest affidavit states. Marson became enraged and was very upset, cops report. When her father tried to grab her as she walked away, Marson began to kick and punch him several times in his face. Before departing the family's Vero Beach residence, the teen reportedly told her father, I'm going to kill you. I hate you. Over, folks, a strap-on dildo. The victim had some visible bruising on his right cheek and a scrape on his nose, which cops, those poor beleaguered cops, poor Popo, there in Vero Beach, said were consistent with his account of being pummeled. Asked if Marson had previously assaulted or battered him, the man answered yes, according to a police questionnaire. Marson, whose occupation is listed as salesperson in court and jail records, was arrested last night for domestic battery, a misdemeanor. It's Florida, folks. Of course it's a misdemeanor. She was released from the county jail this afternoon on her own recognizance and is scheduled for arraignment on May 3rd. And no white boy Malcolm X, even if the summit mistress, even if she is celebrating 10 years with her boy toy, I don't think, sir, this one deserves a reenactment. 18-year-old Floridian woman orders herself a strap-on dildo. Daddy finds it in the mail. Those two have an altercation. She punches and kicks him in the face. I don't know how, folks, but apparently she did. And she threatened to kill him before storming off, which apparently was not their first time doing this, not their first rodeo, having fisticuffs. But Daddy called Popo after getting beat up by his 18-year-old daughter 
over a strap-on dildo. That does not need a reenactment. So on that note, since I cannot top Victoria Marson going a bit nuts over her strap-on dildo, even if her father shouldn't have been prying through her things, since I cannot top that, it is time to plug-pull this podcast. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us on this weekend edition of the Miller Frost Podcast. I am your host, Miller Frost, joined as always by my fake black friend, white boy Malcolm X. Have a great rest of your weekend, a good start to your week, and we will see you back here in a couple of days. In the meantime, take care.